For the last five episodes, we've been considering what it meant, what it means, to encounter Jesus of Nazareth for ourselves. As the end of the religious approach to God, as our entry into a whole new form of life, as the beginning of our being freed from sin, as sight, and as life. In this episode, and this is a shift from the disciples' first experience of Jesus to the second, we're going to move forward into the next phase. Coming to know the personality of Jesus and his power, which, by the way, are inextricably linked. So let's dive in. In fact, let's imagine that we have encountered Jesus, that we are now walking alongside him, that we have taken literally his call and command to us, follow me. In other words, imagine being one of the original disciples. From that, follow me have followed days and then weeks of the strangest lifestyle you've ever imagined. Walking here, sailing there, sleeping some nights in houses, other nights outside. Every morning, he disappears into the high country and then, returning, seems absolutely certain of what the day should be aimed at. Every day, the voice of our Father, as he calls God, leads the way. And you are led by simply following him, following that way, uh, one day at a time. Earlier this afternoon, for instance, you were sitting with him, high up on a mountainside. Huge crowds of people covered the hillside down toward the sea. And then he did that thing he sometimes does, his eyes suddenly narrowing, a studied look coming over his face as he prepares to speak a word, not just to you, but to all. This was the way he began that particular word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here's the way, a few minutes later, he concluded. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And with that, he stood up and motioned to the twelve of you. All right, let's go. The twelve of you followed after him, winding your way through the crowd, and frankly, you were absolutely stunned at all, all the words, all the power, all the authority of what later generations will call the Sermon on the Mount. We'll come back to that some other time. Instead, this afternoon, what mattered more than anything about your downward hike was when, rounding a bend in the trail, you saw the most horrific sight imaginable. A leprous man, far gone in the latter stages of that disease, coming up towards you. He approached Jesus like this was in any way acceptable. But Jesus advanced toward him like he was right. The leper fell on the ground at his feet. Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean right now. 
the look in Jesus' eyes in that moment, the smile that broke across his whole countenance. Of course I want to, he said, absolutely delightedly, and he reached out. He reached out. He touched, touched the scabrous, pussy skin of the man. And now you were rubbing your eyes, certain that your eyesight was betraying. I mean, the man was being reborn externally and undoubtedly internally right before you. His rag of a tunic now covered skin as lovely as any you could imagine. He was just as surprised as you were. But not Jesus. Now don't you go telling anyone, Jesus said to him. Just go and show the priest and make your offering. What do you think the man did instead? Anyways, so that happened earlier this afternoon. Then just a few minutes later, you were entering into Capernaum, the town that Jesus seemed to think of as his ministry headquarters, and you were passing through the central market square northward. Towards you was coming a troop of soldiers, clearing the way for their commander, who was unarmored and who looked anything but the picture of imperial power. These soldiers seemed to be coming for Jesus. As they neared him, they then parted and stood aside, shoulder to shoulder, facing inward, two ranks. Their commander walked forward and bowed his head to the teacher. Sir, I have a servant who is very sick, a servant who means a great deal to me. Then I will come and heal him for you, replied Jesus. The centurion held up his hand. I'm not important enough for you to have to do that. Just say the word right here, and he'll be as fine as ever. I understand how authority works. Please. Even Jesus, at this, was at a loss for words. Hmm. He whispered under his breath. Now yours is a faith I haven't seen anywhere, he said. I tell you all, all the religious those accounting themselves righteous under the rules and rigors of religiosity, will find themselves nowhere compared to this kind of faith. The kingdom of heaven shall be built upon such belief. He smiled at the centurion and placed his hand on the man's unarmored shoulder. Go home. It's already done. The centurion nodded his head, turned to go. His attendant soldiers reformed lines and rearguarded his return homeward. Now, just to remind you, 20 minutes since the end of the Sermon on the Mount, 12 minutes since the complete healing of the leprous man, and now here we are. Then Jesus turned and asked Peter about dinner at his family's home tonight. You all began walking in that direction. Crossing the threshold, the impressions to you were immediate and three Something was wrong, everything was disorder, all were upset. Jesus looked over at Peter. Peter shrugged. But here's what was happening. Past the central room and through a crack in the door could be glimpsed Peter's mother-in-law, sick in bed and looking, frankly, awful. She was lying on her side, her face facing toward the room in which you stood, and she looked miserable, feverish, very unwell. Jesus went in straight to her. He knelt beside her bed and took her feverish hand within his hands and, leaning over, 
whispered a command into her upturned ear. She was out of bed, working on dinner before you knew it. Well, now, on the very same day as the Sermon on the Mount, the healing of the leper, the centurion's bold, faithful request, the quiet healing of Simon's mother-in-law, you are sitting out on her veranda, arrayed around her long table, looking out and over the whole sweep of the Galilee. The distant hills are silhouetted black against the blue-black dark. The stars are sparkling in the skies overhead. The breeze is warm and soft and full of the smells of the season. And now, something else is happening. Below, from the edge of the town, is snaking upward a procession of lamps and torches, lighting the way for all the sick and hurting and hurt and afflicted. All of Capernaum is coming up the hillside trail. Two, uh, from the north and south, all along this western coast of the sea, are coming the same sorts of people from all the towns. The lamps and torches are specks of light rising against the darkness, lighting the way toward the teacher who is rising to his feet to heal all. Quite a day. Now, friends, if you're listening and wondering, I want to tell you, that was not a random sampling of events from throughout Jesus' life. That was actually a single day narrated in the first half of Matthew 8. That was his personality and power transiting through one day. So here are, from me, for you, Four quick observations, and then I'll quickly unpack these, about that day as it pertains to his personality and its power. Here we go. Number one, Jesus always cares for the ones that the world ignores. Two, he also cares for those ones at the center of the world. Three, he cares for those ones at the center of your world. Four, he cares for the world. In fact, let's walk through those briefly. Because when I think about that leper, when I think about the outcast generally, I think of a prophecy about Jesus like this one, Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished and gather the dispersed from the four corners of the earth. You see, the nature of humanity, the nature of humankind since the fall, is to disperse, is to banish, is to disassemble. Our broken hearts are not inclined to unify and make peace. We tend to follow the way of Julius Caesar, divide and conquer. And who are the easiest ones to divide away and conquer? 
those we see as weaker, the outcasts. And yet, here comes Jesus, the branch-bearing fruit, the embodied spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the judge who turns a blind eye, the signal of the glorious rest of God, the gatherer of the dispersed. What he was to the leper, he is to you and me. But what does that mean about how he is with the centurion? Well, I want you to listen to this. This is from Psalm 89. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with my chosen one, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. That centurion, a man under authority, a man used to authority, recognized Jesus as the final authority. Jesus, the faithfulness and steadfast love of God incarnate, thus recognized his faith. He looked into the eyes of the centurion, recognized the kingdom coming to life in him, and steadfastly loved this powerful person. To him, there was no difference between the faith of the leper or the centurion. He delighted in both. He is above all our meaningless divides. And he'd love to invite us above them too. Well, then comes Peter's mother-in-law, a person that matters deeply to Peter, but really is relatively unknown. And I'd say, here's the heart of Jesus toward those ones that matter to us. Listen, Isaiah 40. Behold, the Lord God comes with his might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them. Friends, that is Jesus. The Lord God coming in might, yes, with his mighty way, The Lord God carrying his reward and recompense within his heart. But how does he carry it? Like a shepherd, creeping in quietly to Peter's mother-in-law and whispering words of healing in her ear. He gathers her, carries her, gently leads her. That's Jesus. And who is he to the whole world? Well, I want you to listen because I believe this is who he is to us and to everyone. Listen, this is Psalm 118. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Friends, he has made his light to shine upon us. 
Yes. The steadfast love of God is Jesus. Jesus is the steadfast love of God. The whole world may call on him and be answered. We need not fear, for he is setting us free. Jesus is salvation. The coming of the God who comes, the light of the world for everyone. Oh, friends, that we would fall in love with him and that our love for him would give us love for everyone. Thanks for listening.